Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm Dr. Catherine Pang, and it's so great to share this time together. Welcome to The Living Way, the podcast ministry of the Christian Life Institute, and the Christian Life Institute's purpose to grow Christians forward to live victoriously as overcomers in but not of the world through the hope and healing of Christ. If you miss any of our messages, you can find a link and more information on our website at christianlifeinstitute.com. Our podcasts are available on Thursdays. Please subscribe to our mailing list on our website, christianlifeinstitute.com, to receive notifications about our podcasts, blogs, and other events at CLI. As we begin, you may want to grab a Bible and follow along as we share scripture throughout our time together. Our message today is titled, In Service to Our Savior. I recently heard a story entitled The Ragman by Walter Vanagon Jr., Perhaps some of you have heard it before, but it so struck me that I thought I would share it with you. And now I'm going to read it. I saw a strange sight. I stumbled upon a story most strange, like nothing in my life, my street sense, my sly tongue, had ever prepared me for. Hush, child, hush now, and I will tell it to you. Even before the dawn one Friday morning, I noticed a young man, handsome and strong, walking the alleys of our city. He was pulling an old cart filled with clothes, both bright and new, and he was calling in a clear tenor voice, Rags! Ah, the air was foul, and the first light filthy to be crossed by such sweet music. Rags! New rags for old! I take your tired rags! Rags! Now this is a wonder, I thought to myself, for the man stood six feet four, and his arms were like tree limbs, hard and muscular, and his eyes flashed intelligence. Could he find no better job than this, to be a ragman in the inner city? I followed him. My curiosity drove me, and I wasn't disappointed. Soon the ragman saw a woman sitting on her back porch. She was sobbing into a handkerchief, sighing and shedding a thousand tears. Her knees and elbows made a sad X. Her shoulders shook. Her heart was breaking. The ragman stopped his cart. Quietly he walked to the woman stepping round tin cans, dead toys, and pampers. Give me your rag, he said gently, and I'll give you another. He slipped the handkerchief from her eyes. She looked up, and he laid across her palm a linen cloth so clean and new that it shined. She blinked from the gift to the giver. Then as he began to pull his cart again, the ragman did a strange thing. He put her stained handkerchief to his own face, and then he began to weep to sob as grievously as she had done, his shoulders shaking. Yet she was left without a tear. This is a wonder, I breathed to myself, and I followed the sobbing ragman like a child who cannot turn away from mystery. Rags, rags, new rags for old. In a little while, when the sky showed gray behind the rooftops, and I could see the shredded curtains hanging out black windows, the ragman came upon a girl whose head was wrapped in a bandage whose eyes were empty. Blood soaked her bandage. A single line of blood ran down her cheek. Now the tall ragman looked upon this child with pity, and he drew a lovely yellow bonnet from his cart. Give me your rag, he said, tracing his own line on her cheek, and I'll give you mine. The child could only gaze at him while he loosened the bandage, removed it, and tied it to his own head. The bonnet he set on hers, and I gasped at what I saw. For with the bandage went the wound. Against his brow it ran a darker, more substantial blood, 
his own. Rags, rags, I take old rags, cried the sobbing, bleeding, strong, intelligent ragman. The sun hurt both the sky now in my eyes. The ragman seemed more and more to hurry. Are you going to work, he asked a man who leaned against a telephone pole. The man shook his head. The ragman pressed him. Do you have a job? Are you crazy, sneered the other. He pulled away from the pole, revealing the right sleeve of his jacket. Flat, the cuff stuffed into the pocket. He had no arm. So, said the ragman, give me your jacket and I'll give you mine. So much quiet authority in his voice. The one-armed man took off his jacket, so did the ragman, and I trembled at what I saw, for the ragman's arms stayed in its sleeve, and when the other put it on he had two good arms, thick as tree limbs, but the ragman had only one. Go to work, he said. After that he found a drunk lying unconscious beneath an army blanket, an old man hunched and sick. He took that blanket and wrapped it round himself, but for the drunk he left new clothes. And now I had to run to keep up with the ragman, though he was weeping uncontrollably and bleeding freely at the forehead, pulling his cart with one arm, stumbling for drunkenness, falling again and again, exhausted, old, old, and sick, yet he went with terrible speed. On spider's legs he skirted throughout the alleys of the city, this mile and the next, until he came to its limits, and then he rushed beyond. I wept to see the change in this man. I hurt to see his sorrow. And yet I need to see where he was going in such haste, perhaps to know what drove him so. The little old ragman, he came to a landfill. He came to the garbage pits. And I waited to help him in what he did, but I hung back, hiding. He climbed a hill. With tormented labor, he cleared a little space on that hill. Then he sighed. He laid down. He pillowed his head on a handkerchief and a jacket. He covered his bones with an army blanket. And he died. Oh, how I cried to witness that death. I slumped in a junked car and wailed and mourned as one who has no hope, because I had come to love the ragman. Every other face had faded in the wonder of this man, and I cherished him. But he died. I sobbed myself to sleep. I did not know, how could I know, that I slept through Friday night and Saturday, and it's night too. But then on Sunday morning I was wakened by a violence. Light, pure, hard, demanding light, slammed against my sour face, and I blinked, and I looked, and I saw the first wonder of all. There was the ragman, folding the blanket most carefully, a scar on his forehead, but alive. And besides that healthy, there was no sign of sorrow or age, and all the rags that he had gathered shined for cleanliness. Well then, I lowered my head, and trembling for all that I had seen, I myself walked up to the ragman. I told him my name was shame, for I was a sorry figure next to him. Then I took off all my clothes in that place, and I said to him with dear yearning in my voice, Dress me. He dressed me. My lord, he put new rags on me, and I am a wonder beside him, the ragman, the ragman, the Christ. We are all in need of new rags. We all have problems and concerns in our lives which hinder us and burden us. However, we also all have a gift. We have the gift of the ragman. We too can choose to give to others, to serve others, to focus on their needs rather than our own. The ragman continued to serve with each new impediment which he encountered. He still gave to others what they needed most. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 16-24 calls us to serve as messengers of Christ in his love. 
In Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, he had assured them that he was going to visit them shortly. However, as Paul finds himself hindered from that goal, he writes his second letter to them, and in these verses exhorts them to serve by performing beneficent acts. This is an important point. We need to ask ourselves three questions. First, do I serve others? Second, what is my motive in serving others? And third, what is my attitude in serving others? Action, motive, and attitude. These are the three characteristics which we will consider in the example shown by the three men in these verses. Let me read the verses from 2 Corinthians 8:16 through 24 and I quote, Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. In addition, we are sending with them our brother, who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that the churches can see it. So let's begin with the question, why is it important to serve? First, because as believers we are called to serve one another in Christ. Second, in serving we must serve with an earnest desire to promote the welfare of those we serve. Third, when we serve, we must remember that we are serving Christ in his love and strength. Titus provides us with an awesome example because he inspired others to serve. Titus understood that there was no higher office than service for Christ. He also understood that there was nothing more useful that he could do than to serve Christ. It is also important to note that Titus was serving from an earnest desire and willingness of the heart. Titus realized that the aim and tendency of the gospel are to drown the selfish ego in the act of serving others. The example of Christ was one of service. Titus and Paul considered an honor to serve God by serving others. Let me share a brief story that someone shared with me with permission. She shared, I recall the other day I was on a short break from a class. In fact, the professor had announced that we should be back promptly in seven minutes. Not wanting to be late to returning to class, she decided to hurriedly walk to the student center to buy a drink. She was walking at a rather fast pace with a definite purpose, since as she knew, seven minutes was perhaps not enough time for such a task. Nevertheless, she decided to go for it. As she approached the library, she saw a man in a wheelchair laboring uphill towards the science building. She had a strange desire to approach him and offer to push him up the hill. She also had a strange desire that said to herself, you don't know where he's going, you only have limited time, and you don't want to be late for class. She truly had a battle waging, all within the flash of seconds, as she continued past him, not stopping to offer him help, rationalizing that perhaps asking him might embarrass him, and that he was probably used to maneuvering up hills in his wheelchair. The same person also shared that she recalled several occasions 
when she was researching in the library. Since she was not a library study person, she would check out the books and take them home to do research. One time she shared that she had over 15 books she was checking out at one time. She carefully piled them all up, arranging them by size with the larger on the bottom and the smaller on top. She gently slid them off the checkout desk into her arms and under her chin and proceeded her way back to the parking lot to place them in her car. She shared remembering that she must have passed over 10 students and not one offered to help her carry the books. These two examples vividly portray attitudes regarding service. Why did no one act? Why does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 8:17, and I quote, For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. What is the main difference in Titus? Was it that he, Titus, had a desire to serve and he understood the importance of serving for the glory of the Lord himself, as we read in verse 19, and I quote, What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. Perhaps you say, well, that was Titus. What does he have to do with me? Each one of us as children of God, as Christ's followers, are called to serve him and one another. Perhaps you're thinking, well, that's nice, but that doesn't come easily for me. Let's look at verse 16, and I quote, Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. God placed the desire within the heart of Titus. God places that same desire within our hearts. We need to find within ourselves this desire that God gives us to serve others. Titus was ready to serve and responded promptly to God's call to serve him. How then shall we serve? Titus did not serve alone, for we see in verse 18 that a brother was sent along with him. Although Paul does not state who this brother is, many commentators have identified him to be Luke. It's important to note first that Luke was chosen by the churches to serve. Why? For two reasons. First, because his ministerial services were well known. Second, because his services were well respected. Think about your own experiences for the moment. If you are well known by others, you need to ask yourself, well known for what? We all gather reputations, deserved or undeserved. In order for Luke to be considered well-known, he must have performed prior services, because verse 18 states, and I quote, The brothers whose fame and the things of the gospel have spread through all the churches. This brother's works were well-known because people thought highly of his works and spread the message of his works throughout the churches. But note as well, his reputation was not based on his own works or on himself, but rather on his service for furtherance of the gospel. Secondly, this brother was well-respected. What does it mean to have the respect of others? Respect means to show honor or esteem, to show consideration and regard for. The churches knew of this brother and showed him honor and consideration. Think about someone you respect and ask yourself why. Is it because of something he or she has done? Usually. And if you take the next step, you will probably see that it's not because of something he or she has done for him or herself, but rather something he or she has done for others. As a member of the body of Christ, as one who belongs to Jesus, as one who is in Christ, it is meaningful to be known and respected, but God, not for our own works and accomplishments, but rather for our service to the call of Christ. 
In preparation for service, let us choose to cultivate a character that will reflect the attributes of Christ, such that others will respect the call to service. In verse 19, this brother was appointed by the churches. Based on the scripture, he was chosen, not only because he was well-known and well-respected, but God, because he reflected the character of Christ. So, how do we cultivate the character of Christ? We must take precautions, as Paul warns in verse 20, and I quote, We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. Luke was cautious to avoid any occasion where he might be accused of injustice or impartiality. We need to be aware of our environment so that we do not place ourselves in places in which we could be compromised or give the appearance of impropriety or compromise. We need to take every precaution to avoid the appearance of impropriety and compromise. It is important that we consider our actions and make our choices in light of that which might cast suspicion or doubt upon our character. In verse 21, Paul exhorts us to have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. These messengers in service for Christ acted prudently to prevent all suspicions and scandals. It's imperative that we be honest in all that we do, not only before God and one another, but also in the world. Our world is waiting to condemn, and choosing to live above reproach is a testimony to the truth of Christ. But God, we as flawed humans, often fall prey to our emotions and the ways of the world. So here's the ouch. Are you living in a way that truly represents Christ in service for him and to him? Have you ever worn a church or Christian t-shirt? Have you ever found yourself speaking or behaving in a way that is antithetical or contrary to Christ while wearing the t-shirt? Have you ever felt convicted because of a fleshly choice while not wearing a t-shirt proclaiming your faith and highlighting your commitment to do all things in the name of Christ? If you were not wearing the t-shirt, would you behave or speak as just another person saying or doing what anyone else would because no one would know, so it wouldn't matter? Do you see any hypocrisy? It may seem over the top, yet is there a need, metaphorically speaking, to wear a reminder 24 hours a day because in all things we must avoid compromise, impropriety, suspicion? How easy it is to want to blend in with the crowd. We have a reminder with us 24 hours a day and his name is the Holy Spirit and he lives within us so that we may, as Paul reminds us, and always live beyond reproach. So let's choose an attitude in service to Christ. Another brother accompanied them in this mission of service to inspire charity among the Corinthian church. Again, Paul fails to provide us with a name for this third member, although many have suggested that perhaps it was Apollos. Apollos provides an example of three important motivations. First, Apollos was motivated by his other brothers and servants in Christ. In verse 22, we find that this brother has, and I quote, been tested and found diligent in many things. In fact, he was, and I quote, now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. His diligence was connected to his confidence, and his confidence motivated him to serve diligently for the cause of Christ. As servants in Christ, we must trust one another, have confidence in one another. Paul, in so many of his letters, is concerned with unity because we cannot reach our goals in Christ unless we edify one another and motivate one another in the spirit of Christ. It is this perspective which inspires us to diligently serve our Lord. In addition, 
Apollos was found diligent. Again, as Luke was well-known and well-respected, Apollos had earned his reputation because of his attitude, his great confidence in them, the church at Corinth. Apollos had the attitude of a servant and looked at service as a privilege. It was a gift to be of service to others. I wonder how often we consider it a gift to serve. Do we wait to be asked to serve, or do we volunteer when we see a need, even if it means time and energy we do not think we have? All of us are probably busy, and perhaps we think there is no way we can handle one more commitment, opportunity, not another task, but God. If we agree with that statement, the problem I fear is that we are quite correct in that we, I, cannot handle it, but Christ can. As Christ calls us, he provides for us, and we must remember we have the power of the risen Christ as work within us. It is through him and him alone that we have what we have and do what we do. If there is a need and we have the gifts or the resources, we need to trust that if he is calling us and we know it, which we usually do, even if we sometimes want to ignore it, we must be faithful and respond and consider it a privilege to serve for him. Apollos also shows us in verse 22 that our confidence must come from and be anchored in Christ. We must choose to allow the love, grace, and kindness of Christ to flow forth to those whom we serve. Now I know this may not always be easy because of the power of our flesh, but God may, all the more reason, exhorts us to conquer the flesh and the spirit and choose an attitude of service through the power of the Holy Spirit. Many of you are likely familiar with the idea of choosing an attitude. There was a man who knew another man was short of funds. The first man had an abundance, and in desiring to help his brother, he wrote him a rather large check. The brother graciously accepted and went home that night, elated with the opportunity to use those funds to buy much-needed items for his family. He was rejoicing and giving thanks and praising God for the money. The next morning, he went to deposit the check and proceeded on his shopping trip. A few days later, he received a notice that the check he had deposited had not cleared for insufficient funds. His brother was furious. He swore he would find the man and ruin his life because of what he had done to him. A few days passed, and our brother burned with anger and resentment. He finally met up with the brother who had given him the check. The first brother greeted him enthusiastically and asked him how he was, to which the angry brother responded, You ruined my life. You gave me a check and it bounced, and now the creditors are requiring that I pay for all the items I bought and I don't have the money and it's all your fault. The first brother smiled and said gently, When I gave you what you wanted, you loved me, and when you found you didn't have what you thought you had, then you hate me? How sad that you are ruled by your emotions. Whether or not the first brother had cause to be angry really isn't important. What is important is that he chose to be angry and he chose to allow his emotions to rule him. Each one of us at any time can choose our attitude. It may be difficult at first because we are not used to loving those who hurt us or serving those who are difficult. But God says to love your brother as yourself and to turn your other cheek. We cannot decide how others will act, nor can we choose their personalities, but we can choose our own actions, our own behaviors, our own attitudes, and Apollos chose his. He chose to have confidence in and a good opinion of those he had the privilege to serve. Finally, Apollos was a great comfort to those he served because he chose to cultivate an awareness 
and be concerned with their overall well-being and comfort. God tells us to esteem others better than ourselves in Philippians 2.3, where we read, and I quote, Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility think of others as better than yourselves. Let us choose to place others first and adopt Apollos' attitude of servanthood as we walk after our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In conclusion, all three of these servants, Titus, Luke, and Apollos, were concerned with their actions, their motives, and their attitudes. They were also concerned with giving glory to Christ and providing a witness of love as a witness to Christ. The ragman gave what others needed and took what they did not want so they could have what they had. Do we, as the ragman, give to help others and to serve Christ? The purpose of the Christian Life Institute is palpable. We want all who profess Christ to taste and see that the Lord is good from Psalm 34, 8. To want Christ truly, deeply, intimately, and personally to be your all in all. We pray this is a time of refreshment and growth. We value your prayers. We value your support. Please send any emails to admin at christianlifeinstitute.com. Thank you for joining us for The Living Way, presented by the Christian Life Institute. Our podcasts are available on Thursdays. Please subscribe to our mailing list on our website, christianlifeinstitute.com, to receive notifications about our podcasts, blogs, and other events at CLI. I'm Dr. Katherine Pang. Thank you so much for joining us.